Amen. You got to be in church today. Let's go. I want to preach a message to you today that I have titled and I always give you a title, but I'm giving you a title today because I want you to think about the question that is the title of the sermon. And the question and the title is this. What do you do when the wine runs out? What do you do when the wine runs out? That made you Baptist nervous, I can tell. That made you Baptist nervous, but I'll have you know that the story we are in today has alcohol in it. So be ready. If you're watching online and you need to turn the channel, it's fine. I'm just kidding. But I'm excited about our topic today because we're in John chapter 2. So if you have a Bible, meet me there. John chapter 2. It'll be on the screens, but I like for you to see it in your hand. And we all know that if you take notes, you go to heaven first. You aware of that? If you go to heaven first. I made that up, but I still kind of think it might be true. John chapter 2. We're going to look at the first 11 or 12 verses. And it's a great story. It really is. It's a great story. It's a great story because Jesus performs his very first public miracle. It's the very first time that Jesus is going to manifest his glory on the earth publicly for public consumption. And we get that. Honestly, we get that because he's God. And maybe even here, 2,000 years later, you and I might even expect that. We might expect to read this story. But I'll be honest, reading it through this week, I found myself asking God for a fresh word to talk about today. Because honestly, a great story is just that. It's just a good story if God doesn't speak to you through it. If God doesn't speak to you, if God doesn't transform you to be more like Jesus, it's just that. It's just a good story. So we need a word for our moment. We don't need just a good story. We actually believe that this book is alive. We actually believe that this book, when we open it, can actually speak to your soul. It can actually be that thing that we talk about, can be the anchor for your soul that you're looking for. You know, when we sing those songs and we pray those prayers and we read Psalm 138, it resonates with us. It moves us on the inside because God is there. He's with us. It's literally what the Advent was all about. We walk through that, that God is with us. And that's still true today. Do you believe that? He's still here. It wasn't just an Advent thing. It wasn't sweet uh, six pound, four ounce baby Jesus uh, that we pray to once in a while. Right. Some of you caught that reference. It'll click later. It's OK to laugh in church. You're like, can he say that? Can he say something Will Ferrell said? Is that all right in the pulpit? It is today, apparently. So we believe this book is alive and we actually believe it's a sword. OK, so. The other side of it being alive, right, is that it's a sword. It's, it's the truth. It's going to cut through things, right? The Holy Spirit is a comforter. How many of you know the Bible is a sword? Yeah. It's going to cut through some things in your life and my life that we need it to cut through. And honestly, most things worth doing take some stretching, take some pain, take some cutting, take some pruning. It's all through scripture. And so we come to this and we want the Lord to show us the truth. We don't want to just get 
a good story. But let's read the story and then we'll dive in. John chapter 2, starting in verse 1. The Bible says, on the third day. Somebody lift up your voice and say, third day. Because that's significant, isn't it? What else happened on the third day? If you didn't get that right, we got some work to do. All right. If you can't get the third day in church, we got some work to do. But third day, right? Third day. That's a good number for scripture. It says on the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee. This is about eight miles north of Jerusalem. So a decent walk in that day. But not too far, just giving you a visual there. And it says, and the mother of Jesus was there. It's interesting that John never refers to her really as Mary. The other gospels do. John refers to her as the mother of Jesus, term of respect. And verse two says, Jesus also was invited to the wedding. Now, I don't know about you, but just reading this, that was just like one of those things that I've read a hundred times and it never hit me until like this week. I was like, Jesus got invited to weddings. That's pretty cool. You know, we talk about him being divine. We talk about him being human. We talk about him being 100% of both all the time. But how many of you really think through the humanity of what's happening here? Jesus gets invited to weddings. I thought that was cool. So here he is. He's at a wedding. You know, you might think that Jesus was too uh, religious to go to a wedding. And you might think he was too religious to do what he's about to do. But here's what it says. It says Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. Verse three. Here it is. When the wine ran out. This is the this is one of my this has quickly become one of my favorite stories in the Bible. His interaction with his mother is awesome. It's so an interaction a mom would have with her son, especially if your son was God. OK, L- look at this. It says when the wine ran out. The mother of Jesus, right? She's not just any mother. You tracking? The mother of Jesus. Not the mother of Mitch. Mitch would have been running to Publix, right? The mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. Now that doesn't make a huge impact on you and I, but at a wedding, In that century, in that place, and in that time, it was a huge deal. It would have brought a lot of public shame on that family to have invited all of their friends, all of their family, all of their town to celebrate this wedding, this union, this covenant, this sacred moment, and then run out of wine. It would have been a really big deal. It would have been shameful for that to happen. She comes to Jesus and says, they have no wine. And then Jesus does something that none of us should do. He said to her, woman. I mean, some of us have tried that once. I'm going to tell a story on Malachi. The very first time he saw me do the dishes, he was like, why is dad doing the dishes? Isn't that a woman's job? Guess what Malachi did for the next like 75 nights in a row? The dishes. <laughs> and uh, so we've, we've tried that, right? Doesn't go well. In this day and age, obviously, it didn't mean what it means today. He wasn't like, woman, woman, please. Right? That's not what he was doing. All right? But he does say an interesting thing here. It would have been more like, mom, you know, term of endearment, mom. What does this have to do 
with me. She's like, everything. (laughs) You're going to make wine. But look at what he said. He says, my hour has not yet come. Why would he say that? I was thinking about that this week. Why would he say, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour is not yet here. Jesus, in his humanity, was not quite ready to set in motion what he knew was coming. Publicly displaying his glory, manifesting his glory, which is what they're going to say in a minute, what John's going to write in a minute, was going to set in motion his walk to the cross. Was going to set in motion the sacrifice that he knew was coming, the sacrifice that he knew he came for. And so he says, my hour has not yet come, but don't you love how moms respond? Where are the moms at in here? Can I get an amen from the moms? Right? She simply turns to the servants, right? Look at verse uh, five. His mother said to the servants, she, so he, he says, my hour is not here. Like th- this is, this is serious. Like I'm about to set in motion my trip to the cross. And she's looking at her son and she turns to the servants and says, just do whatever he tells you. No sympathy. How many know we need? Yeah, everybody needs a good mom to give you a kick in the pants every now and then to get you into motion on your mission. Right. We need that sometimes. And so she looks and says, just do what he tells you. You know, there's a there's an element of Christianity in that that I think would be good for all of us, isn't there? For us to look Jesus in the eye and then just do just do whatever he tells you. Could not your life and mine be transformed if we would simply follow Mary's advice? Because I don't know about you, but there's a lot of things that Jesus says in here that they they're just not easy to do in 21st century United States of America. They're just not. There's a lot of things that will make you unpopular. That might hurt your business. It might hurt your friendships. And yet, what we know is that that's only a surface scratch because what's happening underneath the surface is soul level things in the world that we can't see. People need something deeper than just platitudes on the outside that please all the people around them. That's what I need. I act like I need to please everybody, but really on the inside, what you need and what I need is Jesus. And so Mary just says, do whatever he tells you. And then he does something really intentional. Look at verse six. He says, now there were six stone water jars. They're big. Okay says they were there for the Jewish rites of purification, each of them, all six of them, holding 20 or 30 gallons of water. This was to purify the people gathering. And if you have time this week to look that up, there's a lot there that we're not going to cover today. But it's significant that Jesus doesn't just make some wineskins appear. He doesn't just go to the wine skins that were already there and say, fill those bad boys up and keep the party going. No, no, he he goes to the religious jars. He goes to the old covenant jars, if you will. And look what he does. 
Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water and they filled them to the brim. How many know Jesus doesn't do anything halfway? He says, fill those babies to the brim. Fill them all the way up. And they filled them to the brim. Verse eight, he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. Now, listen, don't miss here that there's some faith involved at this point. It doesn't say that when they filled them to the brim with water that it suddenly was wine, does it? No, he says, take some of that water to the master of the feast. What do you think would have happened if the servants took water that was supposed to be wine to the master of the feast and embarrassed that master in front of all of their friends? Bad things. Fired at minimum. (laughs) Maybe worse. So he's... Asking even these servants for some faith. He's asking these servants for the faith that when Mary looked at them and said, do whatever Jesus tells you. And then he told them to fill those babies with water, not just anything, but what would have been very important jars to these people with water. And then he dips out of that and takes it to the master of the feast somewhere in that journey. Come on. Not before he started somewhere in the journey. That turned into wine. So I come back to my question. What, are, what do you do when the wine runs out? What do you do in your life when the proverbial wine runs out for you? Who do you turn to? What do you turn to? When do you turn to him? Or are you willing to just simply do what Jesus said? This might be the most simple sermon I've ever preached, but it also might be the most helpful sermon that I've ever preached. Because what they're doing is they are taking Jesus at his word to do some things that they cannot see, believing that he will produce what he said he would produce. Hebrews would tell us that that's what faith is. Faith is the evidence of the things not seen. If we were to go around this room and I was to talk to each one of you individually, you would be able to produce for me the things that you would like to see God do in your life that you cannot see. Every single one of us has those things. But my question is, what are you doing when the wine runs out? What are you doing when life is empty? What are you doing when you don't have an answer? What are you doing when you can't see what God's doing? What do you do when the wine runs out? Verse 8, they take it. Verse 9, when the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves good wine first. (laughs) And when people have drunk freely, you know what that means? When they're drunk, what's the Bible say? Then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. That's significant. This, John says... The first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee, and here it is, and manifested his glory, 
and his disciples what? What's it say? His disciples believed in him. That's powerful. That's powerful. After that, they went to Capernaum with his mother and his brother and his disciples stayed there for a few days. What do you do when the wine runs out? Mary, and this is one of the reasons that I know she isn't deity, simply looked at her son and said, you got this. (laughs) She didn't go fix it. She looked at Jesus and said, they don't have any wine. And then that fun little interaction is followed by a shocking miracle. Jesus takes a special set of ritual jars for purification and he makes good wine. And John says that he did that to manifest his glory and that his disciples believed in Jesus because of it. But I think it's interesting that Jesus wasn't quite ready to reveal himself. And then he takes a moment of everyday shame and turns it into a moment of glory revealing, faith building, miraculous, common good. That's incredible to me. That the way that Jesus starts his ministry is by taking an ordinary moment of ordinary shame and turning it into common good. Think about that. He doesn't do some crazy thing. He simply takes and preserves one family's honor. It's reminiscent of some other scriptures, isn't it? Where Jesus would leave the 99 and go after the one. Right? Where Jesus would be the father who sits on the porch watching for his son who ran away to come home. And when he finally comes over the crest of the hill, would hike up his shorts and run down the lane. Even though a father in that day and age would never run down the lane for anybody. This is the kind of God that we have. And so Jesus takes these pots and he turns water into wine and he makes good wine. And what's happening here? What's happening for you in this moment? The question comes for you. What do you do when the wine runs out? When you get to the end of your rope, when you get to a point in life where it just doesn't make sense, Or maybe it's the opposite. Maybe you're at a place in life where it makes a whole lot of sense for you in the kingdom you're building. But maybe it's not exactly what God asked you to do. What do you do when the wine runs out? I love this text because I remember one of the things my dad said in the sermon one time. He said every miracle Jesus did in his ministry was to display his divinity. But every miracle that Jesus does in your life is to increase your faith. Are you seeing the miracles that Jesus is doing in your life? John tells us that this miracle takes place to manifest God's glory and it instilled faith in his disciples. Jesus took ordinary shame and revealed himself through it by turning that circumstance into something glorious. What do you do when the wine runs out? What do you do? Let me make it a little more personal. What do you do when shame comes calling? Hide? What do you do when depression comes calling? 
What do you do when you don't measure up to people's expectations? And don't think that showing up at church makes all that go away. Sometimes religious people are the worst. But it doesn't have to be that way. Because God will take your ordinary life and use it to do something extraordinary. Not because you or I bring anything special to the table, but because at his table, everyone is welcome. You see the difference? At this table, every single person is welcome. Jesus launches his public ministry, his hour as he called it. Taking that moment of shame at the most ordinary events, the most celebratory of events, a wedding and using it to display his glory. This is who Jesus is. It's why he came. He came for people. Think about that. He came for people and he's still on a mission for people. He's still on a mission for people. His kids Listen, the verses that started this church in my heart seven years ago can still be the heartbeat of this church. And I want to invite you to it. I want you to listen to it. Jesus gives his own mission statement in Luke chapter four. And if you were to harmonize the gospels, these are very close together. Jesus gets baptized by John, which we talked about. John, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. His people go follow Jesus. That's a struggle for me because I wouldn't be that nice. But they do. And John baptizes Jesus. And then Jesus immediately is taken into the wilderness, tempted by Satan. And then this had to be next. And he performs his first miracle. And he takes shame and makes it good. But then this Luke chapter 4, where Jesus declares why he's even here in the first place is really important. He gives us his mission statement. Look at Luke chapter four, verse 14 says, and Jesus returned in the power of the spirit. How many of you know if Jesus had to return in the power of spirit, you're going to have to start living in the power of the spirit. Yeah. And a report went about him throughout all the surrounding country. Why? Why would a report go out about somebody who hadn't done anything yet? No, because I think he already did something. I think people are like, he makes the good wine. (laughs) He makes the good stuff. You won't believe it. I was at this wedding and they served this decent wine, what I thought was decent. And everybody got drunk and then they brought out better wine and they said that guy made it crazy. Report goes out to all the surrounding country and he taught in their synagogues being glorified by all. How many of you know everybody likes a good entertainment? It's when Jesus started flipping tables It's when Jesus started saying, eat my flesh and drink my blood. It's when Jesus started saying, you have to pick up your cross every day, every day and follow me. You know, because we're like, oh, I'll follow you every day, Jesus. He's like, no, 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 every day. Like when your kids are annoying, when your spouse is dumb, when like, I didn't get any amens for that. Good job. You guys are doing better than I thought. All right. I love that. Some of you are just elbowed your spouse. That's all. You're like, I'm going to call them out publicly. And a report went out. He taught in their synagogues. He's being glorified by all. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, as was his custom. He went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. And he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. So he's intentionally finding this place. And he's going to fulfill the prophecy that was made about himself. 
And I want you to listen to it. Here's what it says. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to do something. And this is what I want you to think about. He's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor and then judge everybody. It's not what it says, right? That's a lot of times what our experience is, isn't it? You can say yes. Listen, I found myself just this week studying this passage, looking at other people. Come on, man. I'm like, you are preaching on it. <laughs> I, 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 just, I don't know. I don't know that we really believe this stuff. I, I've got a question if I really believe this stuff, because think about this, friends. Think about this. He sent me. He anointed me. The spirit of God is filling Jesus to proclaim good news to the poor, to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind and to set at liberty those who are oppressed. Can I just be honest? I think a lot of us spend a lot of time worrying about how to oppress (laughs) rather than set free those who are oppressed. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. I want some of that. Listen, you can have all this other stuff. I want some of that. But what's the problem with that? A lot of us are building what we believe to be the year of the Lord's favor. We just think we need to build it instead of him. And I'll be honest with you. The, the, the part that's scary to me is what I'd have to give up to get the year of the Lord's favor. I gotta give up some aspirations. I gotta give up some stuff. I gotta give up some idols. Right? That's why Paul says every time we take communion together, like we did last week, that his opening words are flee idolatry. What would it look like if I fled from my idols? And I think about those times where in the Old Testament where it says that they, that God's people would go into a city and they would just, they would tear down the idols. They would burn down the Asherah. That's what the Old Testament says. What would it look like if we all just burned down the Asherah that's covering our hearts? Year of the Lord's favor. I want some of that. But here's why it's so important to to listen to that, to read that, to internalize that, to be changed by that. Because listen to me, Jesus ascends back to heaven after his resurrection and in turn he fills his people with his spirit. And then he anoints his people to go proclaim good news. Right? Are you tracking with that? So he says, I've come to proclaim good news and to set people free and to see liberty for those who are oppressed. He says, I've come to do all that. And then when he leaves, he says, but I'm going to send something better than me. Why? How could he say that? Because the spirit of God would be living in every single one of us across the entire face of the earth to do the same things. So, so when, when last week he told Nathaniel, man, you ain't seen nothing yet. You're going to see greater things than these is because all of us are supposed to be doing that. But I don't know about you. I'm spending a lot of time not doing that. You're just going to leave me up here, aren't you? You're going to be like, yeah, you are. Pray for you, Pastor. <laughs> no, I. Listen. 
We can't fulfill that good news calling if we're shackled by our shame. If you've never told anybody what's going on, you're just shackled by your shame. When the truth is, we've all done it too. We don't do regen just for the heck of it. Because we believe you need to tell somebody. Come see us. We would love to listen and pray for you and cry with you and put our arms around you. And see you set free. We can't fulfill our good news calling if we're judging other people rather than praying for other people. We can't fulfill that good news calling if we're a slave to our sin. And I could just keep going. We could spend the rest of the day just listing those things that are going to keep us from our calling. But listen to me. Jesus came to set you free. Don't think about the next person yet. Think about you. Don't think about your spouse. Don't think about your... Think about you. Jesus came to set you free. Came to set me free. We, listen to me, this is so important. We, you, me, we are the poor. We are the blind. We are the captive. And we are the oppressed in this story. And until you are set free, until you recognize I'm in oppression, the devil has me oppressed. And if he can get me to oppress, he wins. If he can get me to judge, he wins. What's Jesus doing in this story where he's turning water into wine? He's setting in motion Luke chapter 4. He's setting in motion that people are going to recognize that I'm bringing something totally different to the party. Why else would he have crowds of people wanting to follow him and religious people wanting to kill him? There's no other explanation. So when he says, woman, I'm... Mom, this is going to set into motion something that I just, I don't totally feel ready for. But then we go to Luke 4 and it says, the spirit of God has anointed me. Listen, whatever God has for you, you aren't big enough to handle it. Whatever God's calling you to do, you're not big enough to pull it off. You're going to need the anointing of God's Holy Spirit to do it. You're going to need the anointing of God's Holy Spirit to walk into work tomorrow and be salt and light for the kingdom of God in the midst of darkness. You're going to need the anointing of God's Spirit. You're going to need to be filled with His Spirit to walk into school tomorrow and be a Christian. To walk into work tomorrow and be a Christian. To walk into whatever. To drive on 275 and be a Christian. Can I get amen in church? (laughs) Pray for your boy. I'm like, this is... Y'all need to go back home. No, I'm just <laughs> joking. Can I ask you this question? Has God been patient with you? Has he been patient with you? He's been patient with me. I think about what, what Peter said in 2 Peter 3, 9. As if there was a poster boy for God being patient with somebody. It was Peter, right? Some great stories about Peter. We'll get to those someday. But listen to what he said. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness. But is patient toward you. But he's patient toward you. Not wishing that any should perish. But that all should reach repentance. What a verse. Has God been patient with you? Has God, is God right now even wooing you home to him? 
today, freedom is here. Like it's here. Here, here. Like it's real. I just, when we gather, like I can't help but wonder, like there has to be somebody who your life feels empty. The wine has run out. Is your religion empty? Is our religion empty? The invitation is to come to Jesus and live. That there's good wine in this life. And you can study wine from the front of the book to the back of the book. And it's always connected to God's favor. It's always connected to this year of the Lord's favor. That Jesus was fulfilling. Because he is the year of the Lord's favor. He is the prize. He is the one where you go sell all that you have. And by the field will you know the treasure's hidden. Because you don't need anything else but him. I don't know that we believe that. Because it requires us to lay down those idols in our lives, in our hearts, in our minds. And to be filled with the spirit of God. So as we close today. I just want to pray. I want to pray for you. I want to pray for me. If, if you want to come, uh, we'll pray with you. Because here's the deal. I think most of us who have been religious for a long time, we know what we're supposed to do. It's just hard to do it. And I think it's because we're trying to do it. And we need the anointing of God's spirit to send us into the lives of the people around us. But it ain't going to happen if he doesn't set you free first. And so I just want to take a minute. I'm going to have Kevin come up and play. Just play music over you. And over me. Because. What I'm not interested in. Is you just. Thinking that was alright today. Or maybe you were bored. <laughs> That's not why we're here. That's not why we're here. We're not, we're not here for a good talk. We're here for. We're here for this. We're here for Jesus. And for us to walk out of here today and miss Jesus when Jesus himself said where the people of God gather, that's where I'm going. If he's here, man, I want to see him. I want to know him. I want to taste and see that he is good. I don't want to just know that he's good. What's the scripture say? It says you can taste and see that he is good. But Jesus was honest with his disciples. There's some things that only happen through prayer. They only happen through fasting. They only happen through seeking him. But he did say, if you'll seek with me with all your heart, you'll find me. That's what we're after. That's what we're after. So we're going to listen to the music. And I just want you to pray for a few minutes. You can pray by yourself. Grab somebody near you. If you need to pray with somebody. I'm around. We've got other pastors around. Listen, we won't have, we won't got no more time to waste. Look at our city. They need Jesus. Look at this neighborhood. It needs Jesus. I need Jesus. I need you to pray for me. That I would keep my eyes fixed on Jesus and not what you want. Not what I want. That would be a mistake. We're not after that. We're after Jesus. Amen? So let's just take a minute. Why don't you stand with me? If you need to move, you can come up here and pray. We've got space. I would love to pray with you. Jerome's in the back. He would love to pray with you. 
CR's over here. Pastor Tim's over here. We'd love to pray with you. We don't have time to waste. This is the year of the Lord's favor. But it comes through us. It's our relationships with each other and our relationships with our neighbor. That's where God is. That's where God's moving. I just want to invite you to pray. And in just a minute, I'll pray for all of us. But we would love to pray for you. So come on, let's bow our heads. If you want to move and pray down here, let's go. Let's pray.